Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. And last night, for the first time in history, the Major League held a game at the Field of Dreams in Iowa, where the Chicago White Sox played the New York Yankees. We watched about half an inning of it, which is when we said, hey, why don't we watch the 1989 film Field of Dreams instead? And so that's what we did, and today we will be talking about the film from 1989. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, the Field of Dreams movie is a classic, uh, and I remember, I've watched it a number of times, and every time I watch it, I get something new from it. And I think it's a perfect thing to talk about, especially because of the, the White Sox-Yankees game uh, last night. Mm-hmm. So it's in the news. Uh, I think that inspired us to watch it, so we did watch it. Uh, but I have to admit, we had it on VHS when I was a kid, and I saw it dozens of times. And I remember every beat, beat by beat, the whole movie. Um, watching it again as an adult, I probably hadn't seen it in 20 years or more. Um, I love it just as much. One of my favorite things is, I mean, the performances are great. The writing is great. It's a sort of a fantasy film. And there's a lot of comedy in it that I don't think I realized when I was younger. But also, uh, and I knew this from ages and ages ago, it's one of my favorite film scores of all time. The James Horner score. Um, the themes. Everything about it, I just... I, don't, I, I think it's a fantastic film, and I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, and I remember watching it uh, the first time. I thought, oh, baseball, is, it's really true. Baseball is part of our culture. Uh, it's the uh, it, the field of dreams really fits. Uh, but, the, but the story itself, there's a lot of messages in the story. And uh, once I watched it last night with you and, and Laura, uh, with uh, all of us, we... I thought more of the of the takeaways, mm-hmm. more of the messages that are in the film. And it is a fantasy. It is about baseball, but it's much deeper than that. And uh, one of our podcasts, we talked about the great baseball legend Yogi Berra and his his sayings, uh, yogiisms, uh, and they are philosophical. And the field of dreams is just there's a lot of messages in here that can, are really good takeaways for life. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting movie. It's about Kevin Costner, and he's out in the field, and he hears the voice, the classic voice that says, if you build it, he will come. And it causes him to plow under his corn to build a cornfield. Now, I think the fascinating thing is when he's talking to his wife, who's played by Amy Madigan, 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 Madigan. She does, she does incredible in this movie. She's hilarious. She sort of steals the show in many respects, even though the performance is turned in by James Earl Jones is also great. I think it's funny because I always felt like Kevin Costner was a bit wooden as an actor, but it sort of serves him well in this particular role. Um, But Amy Madigan is phenomenal in this movie, and you don't really see her in too much other stuff. I mean, I could pull up her IMDb, but this was a, a great performance from her. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree. I just... Uh, she was she was awesome, and I just thought she was adorable. I thought I love this this why her his wife, uh, the part she played was super super good. I just yeah I thought I I, I kept saying oh, I love I love uh, uh, what was her name in the film. Uh, anyway, I, lo- I love the the part that Amy played, Amy Madigan. Annie. She did a great job. Annie, yeah. Oh, I, lo- I love Annie. Uh, so she was really endearing in the in the film. So she did a great job, mm-hmm. and Kevin Costner did a great job too, and James Earl Jones. I mean, everything was really good. Yeah, and and, and uh, Ray Liotta. 
Yeah, Ray Liotta as Sugar, I mean, as Shoeless Joe Jackson. So the movie yeah. is a fantasy. It's not really a baseball film like maybe Major League. I think Major League might be my second favorite baseball <laughs> film, and Field of Dreams is my favorite. Um, part of the reason why Field of Dreams is my favorite is just there's a nostalgia factor from when I was a kid. But also, it tugs on the heartstrings while still having a lot of good humor. So the fascinating thing to me is nearly every scene is sort of played for a punchline. Um, and some of it's understated, but it, it kind of plays like a comedy. It's a comedy, fantasy, <laughs> baseball movie. Drama. 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 Comedy, fantasy, drama, baseball movie. And I think the combination of all those things, it's, it's difficult to pull off. But the movie plays it straight. And so as the viewer, as long as you can suspend your disbelief on the whole fantasy side of things, it becomes sort of an amazing ride that the movie takes you on. Well, I think the fantasy part at first you think, oh, this is crazy. You know, what this doesn't happen. What What is this? But then after you begin to realize that, well, wait a minute, there's some messages here. My my big takeaway is is the uh, the meanings and the messages that are given about about uh, baseball is just part of it. Uh, baseball is a device that's used to to bring up uh, relationships and uh, what's important in life and and your family and and your history and your future. And anyway, it's just it's a movie that that gives you a lot to think about and uh, much far beyond baseball. As as a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, which is very similar to to yogiisms, far beyond baseball. Yes, and there's, I mean, there's a father-son aspect to it, which is interesting when we're talking about it. And um, so Kevin Costner says at the beginning, my dad, you know, when I was born, he was already an old man and he never took any risks. And I think I need to plow under my field and build this baseball, my, under my cornfield to build a baseball field because I need to, I need to do this to prove to myself that I'm not him. And the, the fascinating thing is he didn't want to live a life with regrets, and he was afraid that if he didn't do this, he would regret it for the rest of his life. Well, who did he bring back? He brought back Shoeless Joe. And Shoeless Joe made one mistake in the 1918-1919 World Series that he wished he could take back. And so uh, it's, it's sort of about living free from regrets or or having... Uh, there's, there's this theme of doing things that you'll regret or uh, not sort of achieving your dreams like Moonlight Graham near the end. He regretted not ever having a, a nat bat. There was just one thing that he wishes that he would have done. He wishes that he would have gotten a nat bat in the big leagues, but he got put in the last day of the season. Uh, he was in the outfield. There were three, the ball never left the infield. And that was his only time playing in the big leagues and field of dreams allowed him to achieve his dream. But, he didn't really regret it. It's it's fascinating how regrets keep circling back within the movie. Yeah, like like uh, like Archie Archibald Graham, uh, Moonlight Graham. He he did have a regret that he never got to have it at bat, but when they gave it to him, he he said, uh, "I chose being a doctor uh, above my dream." And so, even though you have aspirations and you have dreams. Sometimes you have bigger dreams that are even bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes the bigger dreams are things that that are just everyday life. The everyday life is really the, the dream that that you live uh, every single day. 
and that's kind of what uh, t that's my takeaway from from uh, Archibald Moonlight Graham. That yeah, and at the and uh, he did, he went back, he went back away from the dream field of dreams. He went back to being a doctor because he he chose that. Mm -hmm. So and and that was another thing that uh, that uh, every, every play every actor I mean every character had. Uh, yeah, they had dreams, but uh, they would always go back. They would always go back, and their dreams were were baseball was a metaphor for. Uh, achieving your dreams, but then also your dreams are in life. Yeah. Now let's talk about the voice. Uh, that's okay. probably, probably the most iconic part of the whole movie. The voice serves as sort of a ghost in the machine to drive Kevin Costner along on his fantastical journey to sort of making the field of dreams a reality. Um, what's your interpretation of the voice? Uh, well... I haven't thought about it, but uh, real quickly, just off the top of my head, I would say, well, the voice was a, uh, a literary or a movie device that's used to start connecting a theme all the way through. It's like questioning things, uh, like uh, if you build it, he will come. Well, then questioning about building, about something that he hadn't built before. Something about they will come, who will come. And so things that were missing in his life. And so the voice was a message, actually a, probably a message in all of us, that are there things that you have overlooked that you should have done, you've never done? And maybe do them before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Don't ignore that voice. Don't ignore the voice. And I think it's every voice inside of us. Uh, sometimes it's haunting. And you think, wait a minute, I've never done this. Well, maybe you should try to do something outside your comfort zone. Uh, and sometimes satisfaction begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Uh, and go out there and, and try something. Uh, to me, maybe that's what the voice was about. That's one version of the voice. I'm sure there's others. Mm -hmm. What was yours? Oh, I think the voice, I mean, the movie requires a lot of suspension of disbelief. First of all, the voice comes out of nowhere. And then he builds the baseball field, and the players come back from the dead to play on the field. But uh, Kevin Costner and his family can see him, but Timothy Busfield, a, um, his wife's brother, uh, can't see him. And neither can his wife's family. And so there's this whole fantastical element. I think the, go the voice is kind of like the god in the machine, the deus ex machina. And the cornfield itself, where the players disappear into, that's sort of an out... Uh, sort of like heaven, but it's not really heaven because uh, it's like purgatory. The cornfield's like purgatory. The players are all there. They come back to the field and the field becomes heaven. So um, it's fascinating. It's like, like the voice, let's say, is the voice of God. It's telling Kevin Costner to build the field so that these players that are stuck in limbo have someplace to go and playing baseball is like heaven. And it's I, when you start to think of it like this, it's like, well, what does that mean explicitly? It's difficult to say that means this or that or that, but that's sort of what the movie's saying, right? It's almost like true art. Like you could have a number of physical interpretations on what they were doing physically. I mean, what they were doing in the movie. Uh, and they could all be different. Uh, but then what you start looking at is, is probably from your perspective. And that's the beauty of, of our true art, uh, 
that art is just what it is, but everyone can interpret it and, and it touches their lives. And I think I, that's what I think that's what you're explaining. There's a lot of different ways you can play. You could explain the, the cornfield that they went into or the ball field that they play in, played in or the ball field was in on the farm where they couldn't leave it. Mm -hmm. OK, well, what was the farm then? Reality and the ball field was was fantasy. heaven, fantasy or heaven or what? And uh, and they did address different issues along there. Like uh, that one time at the end, they said, uh, is this heaven? It says, no. They said it twice, didn't they? Yeah, they said, Shoeless Joe asks uh, Ray Kinsella, is this heaven? And and Ray says, no, it's Iowa. And then at the end, his father, John Kinsella, asks him, is this heaven? And Kevin Costner says, no, it's Iowa. And then, and then Ray, Ray Kinsella, Kevin Costner says, is there a heaven? And his dad says, oh, yeah, it's the place where dreams come true. And then Ray says, well, maybe then this is heaven. I, I, it's it's a fascinating film, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, they, they, it, it was it was well done. It was extremely well done, and uh, and it was well done because it makes you think. It makes you think about not just the film, about uh, everyone will take it a different way, and that's the beauty of art. Mm -hmm. And everyone will take it the way everyone takes it is is different because people are different. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, if everyone takes it differently because they're different, well, that's exactly what art is. It touches everyone differently. And so I, th I thought it was a very artistic and well well produced and, and well done uh, film. But but there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, there's uh, at the beginning when he first heard the voice. Uh, if uh, by the way, the first thing the voice said was, "If you build it, he will come." Mm -hmm. Okay, and first of all, he didn't know what built man, built what, and second, who will come, and the voice never told him, never told him what to build or who was coming, but he figured that out himself, and so even though the voice told him to do two, two things, even the voice said two things, he had to figure out, oh well, oh, wait a minute, yeah, it's build a ball field because I saw this, yeah, and he started going back in his memory. This is what I need to build. And who's coming back? Shoeless Joe, because because I told my dad, I said something to my dad that that uh, I shouldn't have said. And uh, that didn't come out in the film till later, mm -hmm. what he actually said. And and actually, uh, 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 he was asked what, what he told his dad, and he finally said, uh, and it was about Shoeless Joe. So it wasn't about Shoeless Joe, it was about his dad. It was It was always about his dad. It was always about his dad. And he said he felt like he needed to do this because he was afraid of turning into his father. Yeah. And so at the beginning, it was about the cornfield. It was about baseball. It was about Shoeless Joe. It was about the White Sox or the Black Sox. But really, it was about his dad. Mm -hmm. And so again, isn't that true? So many times, something that's really, really serious and deep inside of us it takes us a while to face it. And what we do, we face everything else but that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have everything else which is surrogates and easier to deal with rather than something that is really the issue. Yeah. And I mean, you cannot use everything else as a reason or an excuse. But it's, I mean, when you get down to brass tacks, a lot of times it's uh, either you don't want to admit that it's something or 
you're sort of blind to that part of the fact that that's what's driving your your actions. Yeah. Uh, well, the, and then the other part, the other uh, parallel story is Terrace Mann. Mm-hmm. You know, and and how I, I thought that was interesting. Why? What what Terrence Mann? Why that was part of the story? Well, maybe it was some parallelism, but uh, you know, uh, James Earl Jones as Terrence Mann, he did a fantastic job. It was it was really well done. Yes, I mean I, the movie's great, the writing is great, and I think Kevin Costner and Ray Liotta they benefit from having great lines. But I think the breakout performances are James Earl Jones and Amy Madigan. I mean, they they are fantastic. I think they're the best actors in the movie. They they did a super job, both of them. I mean, Amy was adorable as as Annie, as mm-hmm. Annie Kinsella, truly. And I go, oh, she's I I I love that character. I she's likable, and she I mean, she listens to Kevin Costner's ideas, and as a wife, she supports him, even though his ideas are crazy. And she says that he says, "Do you?" And, and uh, Ray asks Annie, "says Do you think I'm crazy?" She says, "Yeah, yeah, you are crazy, but let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to do it, if you want to do it, do it." To me, that that's just so awesome. And so, even though you don't understand, even though she didn't understand it, she did. She thought it was crazy, and it was crazy. Uh, but still, if if your husband believes in it or your wife believes in it and you go for it and you do it, look what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, miracles do happen. And uh, anyway, she she really brought uh, uh, a, a perspective uh, to the movie to help uh, Ray Kinsella do what he wanted. But then, okay, so uh, in that vein, what did uh, uh, Terrence Mann he also brought a similar type of parallelism to the movie, too. Yes. Of course, Terrence Mann, his big thing is his speech. Uh, and it started by Karen. And I would also like to say Gabby Hoffman as Karen. I don't normally like child actors, and she wasn't the greatest, but they gave her really good lines. And especially when Kevin Costner's building the field as a montage, and they play it off as Kevin Costner's talking to Gabby or Karen about... Shoeless Joe, and she's, what happened then? You know, and it's like, well, he hit 355 and had the series only home run. It's like, that didn't sound like he's cheating. That scene was cute. Um, and of course, she sort of causes the action to come to a head with uh, Archie Graham leaving the field and becoming Dr. Moonlight Graham, um, you know, at the end. But she starts the monologue that James Earl Jones finishes when Timothy Busfield as Mark is saying, you got to sell the farm, Ray. And it's the big climax of the movie. And she says, you don't have to sell the farm. People will come. People will come to see the baseball men. And then James Earl Jones, um, he finishes it. And you see, like, a literary mind, a literary can sort of put it into words that are striking. And he says, people will come, Ray. People will come for reasons they can't possibly fathom. They'll come to Iowa to get a part of missing them in their soul. The one constant through all the years has been baseball. Like, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. That sort of uh, monologue is so, like, inspiring. And he gets done with it. And uh, they invite him to go out into the purgatory area, into the cornfield. And Ray's upset (laughs) that he's not invited. But then, you know, as Terrence Manny says, I'll write about it. And Ray says, you'll write about it? He's like, that's what I do. I write. But he hadn't written a book in 30 years. 
I mean, I think that all that stuff is... The writing is really good. The The story is very buttoned up. Everyone has a purpose. And even yes. Terrence Mann mentions that when Archie Graham is in the back of the car and Ray's driving. And Ray tells him the secret about what he told his dad about Shoeless Joe. And then Terrence Mann says, well, now it looks like everybody here has a purpose except for me. And at the end of the story, Terrence Mann gets his purpose. He's going to go meet with the baseball players and he's going to write about it again. And he sort of alluded to that purpose by doing his little soliloquy, his little monologue, where it's like, yes, he can speak compellingly about these issues. And right there you have the beauty of the film where you had you had uh, uh, Ray Kinsella, Ray, uh, Kevin Costner. He, he was he was trying to do this because he heard the voice. And then he had his wife, Annie, who who supported him and they were doing this together. But then you had the child view, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Gabby, Karen. She was looking. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Karen, she was looking at it from a child's view. Says, oh, yeah, she saw it. But then then Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones, his soliloquy saw it from a, a literary view. OK, and then Timothy Buzzfield saw it from a business view. And so. In other words, however you look at it, uh, it's life. Mm -hmm. And 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 then finally, uh, Archibald, uh, Burt Lancaster, and, and uh, Moonlight Graham. He is the one who who revealed the men to Timothy Busfield's Mark. You know because yes. because he he crossed the line, and he became moved away from being a baseball player to being a doctor, and he lost ability to be the baseball player he crossed the line mm -hmm. and that way he opened up that view uh to the world mm -hmm. so everyone had a purpose like you're saying but the purpose i guess what i'm trying to get at is that the purpose of each one is is ray and then annie and then karen and then terrence and then archie the purpose was all different ones. It wasn't just one purpose. It was multiple things going together. And that, to me, that was the beauty of, of the uh, uh, of the of the movie. Yes, that it was. It wasn't just one story. It was multiple stories with a common ending. Mm -hmm. And of course, it ends with uh, the cars in the night driving to the Field of Dreams from Iowa City or whatever. Um, and I. One thing, it's just a movie-making thing that sort of always strikes me. I didn't notice this when I was a kid. As a kid, I thought it was awesome. But now as an adult, you see the shots. And it's a helicopter shot. You know, they have the field lit up, and they have a helicopter. And it's looking down at the line of cars coming north from Iowa City to the Field of Dreams. And what strikes me is these days, you could get a drone with a gimbal... <laughs> and you or I could get a shot like that when back then you'd have to hire a helicopter and it's even shakier <laughs> than it would be if you or I spent about a thousand bucks and bought, you know, a DJI drone like off the sh like just move from a movie making perspective. Back in the day, if you wanted an aerial shot, you were renting a helicopter and and lugging a film camera onto the helicopter and getting the air. So the final shot of the movie was a helicopter shot. And I'm thinking, wow. It's crazy how much harder it was to make movies in 1989, which wasn't that long ago. That's right. Yeah. 
And also, I mean, to just sort of talk about 1989, it was fascinating to find out information about Terrence Mann. He had to go to the local library and look at microfilm and pull up every you know interview Terrence Mann had ever done. And that's how research used to be conducted. When he's on the road, he had to call Annie from a payphone or from the phone in his hotel room. And I, I just find it fascinating when things like that uh, occur. You know, I, th- <laughs> I wonder, you know, if Field of Dreams were to take place in 2021, when Burt Lancaster opposes himself, would Timothy Pussfield pull out his phone and start taking pictures and trying to post it on Instagram? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have, mean, you ever, have you ever used a microfilm or a microfish? Yes, I'm old enough to have seen it at the Jefferson County Public Library when I was at elementary school age. By the time I got to high school, there was the internet. And of course, not all research had transferred to the internet by that point, but um, by the time I was in college, I never touched microfilm or microfiche because every all the journals, scholarly articles, they were all available via the internet. But yes, I'm aware of microfilm and microfiche, and it sounds like a pain in the butt. Oh no! When it came out, it was awesome. You could you could go through that stuff very quickly with with the, with the readers, you mm-hmm. know. And you before that, th- there's all the books, and you go through the books and try to find what you needed. You had your card catalog before that. So see, when I was in college, I'd be at the library and. Uh, on their computers at the library, but I would um, be able to copy and paste quotes from stuff, you know, get the citation straight from the, and if you had microfiche, you couldn't do any of that. You know, you're, you're looking through an article, you can do a control F and find stuff. I mean, it's funny just to think about how much more of a hassle everything was back in the day. And I suppose that's a little off the topic, but yeah. I guess to, to speak to the topic, 1989 is kind of a magical time for a, a movie like this to exist. I feel like in an age where everybody has a, a digital camera in their pocket and the ability to broadcast it out to the world, Field of Dreams would lose some of its luster. The fact that this is pre that, you know, the second Sueless Joe appears, they're not out there with their cell phones posting it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, it, it could be the same today. I mean, the results could be the same, but the process would be different. Like you take and, pictures and they're not there or something. You know what I mean? Like, you know yeah, how the brother, maybe. the brother, Timothy Busfield, couldn't see Chulish Joe until the very end. Well, maybe like you could do it today, but when you try to capture it, they're not there. It's, yeah. They exist in your imagination or whatever. Yeah. But I think it, back then it happened, but it took longer for it to happen. Today, it might happen. It might happen differently. It might go a little faster because everything's faster today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, uh, back then, uh, because it was slower, it took a while for the people to to digest what was happening. Because mm-hmm. remember, when they when when Kevin Costner took uh, I mean, when uh, uh, Ray Kinsella took uh, uh, Moonlight Grammar, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Terrence Mann, when uh, Ray Kinsella took Terrence Mann to the to the game, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, they saw it. They both saw it, but Terrence Mann denied it. 
Okay, and so then they went back and says, you didn't see it? You didn't see it? So see what? See what? And so they, they, so Terrence Mann refused to say that he saw the message on the board, mm-hmm. right? And so they drove all the way back, says, I'm sorry I bothered you. So what? What are you talking about? So he got out, and so he was going to drive away, and then Terrence Mann stood in front of him and said, oh, wait a minute, I did see it. You saw it. Why didn't you tell me? It took a while for them to actually digest and understand and think about it. Today, things happen so fast that maybe we don't think about things as deeply as we used to. It's all very quick, very quick, very quick, and you don't get the full meaning and the impli- and, and the full implication of what, what you just heard, what you mm-hmm. just saw, what you just learned. So maybe, maybe there's that element too to, to the movie on, on things going a little slower. Yeah, and they had to drive in that in that van, in that '60s van. They still had the '60s van. They drove in that '60s van all the way back to Iowa from from where where was he? Boston. Well, he went Chicago. to Boston, and then they went to Minnesota to Chisholm, Minnesota, to see if they could find Moonlight Graham. And then they went yeah. all the way back to Iowa. And I think the interesting thing about the movie to me, one well, there's a lot of interesting things about it, but one more thing I want to touch on is the mystical element. He builds the field in the first act, and it's not till the end of the first act that Shoeless Joe appears. And Shoeless Joe is the first mystical element in the movie. So you get a third of the movie before you get the first mystical element. Well, I mean, I guess the the voice is a mystical element. So hearing the voice, it happens in almost the opening scene. So, but... You know, he's just hearing a voice. It could be anything. When Shoeless Joe appears, like, whoa, this is this is fantasy land. You know, he's Shoeless Joe's been dead for fifty years, but he comes. He finally he does come. If you build it, he will come. And so, so then you're meant to accept Shoeless Joe is there. Then he brings his buddies and they practice, and Ray hears the voice again. And the interesting thing is, he drives. He meets Terrence Mann. There's this whole meeting scene. Terrence Mann kicks him out of his apartment. He pretends to have a gun. Uh, all this stuff. Uh, they go to the baseball game, and he hears the voice again with the screen, like you said. Terrence Mann goes with them to Minnesota to find Moonlight Graham. They don't find him. He's been dead for years. Um, and they see a newspaper report that says Terrence Mann is missing. He's been kidnapped. So Terrence Mann has to call his father to assure him that he hasn't been kidnapped. Ray goes for a walk. He's out on the streets of Chisholm, Minnesota, and he realizes, oh, it's 18 years earlier. That's when he meets an elderly Moonlight Graham. And so you have to accept that Ray can sell a time traveled at that point. All of a sudden, that's okay in the logic of this universe. But (laughs) Moonlight Graham won't go with him. He says, no, I got to get home or Alicia will be thinking I got a girlfriend. So he says, but I think you're really supposed to go with me. He's like, no, I'm not going to go with you. So they sleep it off. They start heading back to Iowa. And Archie Graham is on the side of the road. And he's a kid. And the way that he describes stuff, he's a kid from the 1920s. Um, I mean, so you have to accept. So, so, so the time travel was 60 years back. Yeah. So you have to accept all of these things um, or else the movie won't work for you. And I guess to the movie's credit, it it's not a barrage of them, if you think about it. You have the voice, you have Shoeless Joe appears, you have him bring the eight men out, you know, the the Black Sox, to go practice. And then when 
Ray leaves, there's a large period without anything mystical happening. And when they do their whole research on Moonlight Graham, he's dead. And one of my favorite scenes is when the lady reads her article about uh, Moonlight Graham's obituary. <laughs> and Terrence Mann said, you wrote that? And she said, I did. He's like, you're a good writer. And the lady says, so are you. So the lady knew who Terrence Mann was the whole time. She just, uh, she, didn't, she, she didn't make a big deal about it. I wasn't going to give him a hard time because uh, he, didn't, he didn't want to be recognized as that anymore, but she knew who he was. She knew exactly yes. who he was. It was great. But she patted him on the shoulder and says, so are you, and then walks away. Yeah. You know? And so she wasn't going to give him a hard time. She just knew who he was. And he is a good writer. And, and that was kind of like a, a, a signal or a precursor or whatever you call it a, a, uh, of his purpose. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. going to be his purpose. His purpose was to write about the story, to write the story That's of right. this, the, of the field right. of dreams. So, so I, she she kind of gave him his, his purpose there, there subtly there in Minnesota. So I guess like we could conclude, because we've covered the movie basically, but I want to conclude with the final scene. Um, so Kevin Costner builds the field because he felt like his dad grew old without ever taking any risks. And he thought that if you built the field, Shoeless Joe would come back. And that's exactly what happened. But then after Moonlight Graham saves his daughter, but he becomes old in the process and he can never play baseball again and he has to go into the field. And Moonlight Graham's at peace with that. After Terrence Mann goes into the field um, to write about it, you know, Ray Liotta's the last one left. And he says, if you build it, he will come. He points to the catcher. The catcher is Dwyer Brown, a.k.a. Ray Kinsella's dad, John Kinsella, as a young man. And then uh, he says, what should I say to him? And Amy Madigan says, Annie says, maybe you should introduce him to his granddaughter. And so they have this introduction and they have this conversation. And then he says, dad, do you want to play catch? Do you want to have a catch? And then they play catch and that's the end of the movie. That's very emotional, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And It was. It was. And... Uh, the movie was about, I think, sort of reconciling with his father because the last thing he said to him was that he could never respect someone whose hero was a crook, speaking about Shoeless Joe. But they have this final time where they, they have this conversation. They play catch. And the whole reason why Ray Kinsella built the field was for his father to come back and for him to have that reconciliation. And that's sort of the end of the movie. If you, if you build it, he will come. And it wasn't about... Well, it was. The other thing is that what he told his dad was, I can't respect a man whose hero is, is a criminal. And he wasn't a criminal. He, he didn't do any... It was never proven he did anything wrong. He took the money, but he didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And so Shoeless Joe was, was part of the Black Sox. He never got to play again. He was blackballed. So... But what happened was, was that also at the end, David, uh, he said, as Shoeless Joe was walking away in the middle of the field, he was dozens of yards away. And Kevin just said, was that you? In other words, was the voice you? And Shoeless Joe turned around and says, no, Ray, it was you. It was you saying that. And so... 
it was Ray telling himself, if you build it, he will come. And it wasn't about Shoeless Joe, but it was Shoeless Joe at first. So he reconciled what he said about Shoeless Joe in order that his dad would come. Mm-hmm. And through Shoeless Joe, when his dad came, it ended with playing catch with his dad and shaking his hand. And Think about hand. it. Thinking about it. Would you, when you're old, when you're you're in your 30s, if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, think of what it would be like if you could shake hands with your dad when he was 24 years old or 25 years old today. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if your dad's alive, I mean, uh, what did he do back then? Just knowing him then. And so it connects you with your past. Uh, and also, in order to do that, it connects you with the present so you can live for today the way you should because mm-hmm. your past is part of you it doesn't dictate where you're going or who or or what you have to hit what you will or will not do but it is part of who you are and knowing who you are is essential uh to uh being yourself and to enjoy enjoy life and, and living the life the way you should and so it's all about Ray Con, uh, Ray Kinsella. He was the, he he was telling himself that. Mm-hmm. But the the point is, it's like you said, it's a fantasy, and it's the fantasy wasn't about fantasy. The fantasy was about a message. To me, it was a message. Yeah, and I mean, as we close, because I think we've said all we need to say about the movie. I just want to say. It's a fantastic movie. I think everyone should see it. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's got a good message. It is it is fantastical. And it's got one of the greatest scores, I think, in the history of cinema. <laughs> I love the score. Um, it's good. And, and it's, it's cool. Don't you think it's just a cool concept? And it's per, like almost perfectly done. It's a... Almost a perfect movie, I would say. So I would recommend it to anyone out there who hasn't seen it. Or if you have seen it, watch it again. You'll like it. I promise. Yeah. If you like baseball, you'll like that part of it. Even if you don't like baseball, it's just a small part of it. Mm-hmm. It's And the, the fantasy is I don't like fantasy or I do like fantasy. Again, that's a small part of it. I think most of it is what each person takes away. And what they're going to take away is something different. Because mm-hmm. what you take away, it's not about, it's kind of like what Shoeless Joe said. It says, was that you? And Shoeless goes, no, Ray, it was you. And so when you come to the movie, says, is that the movie? No, it's not the movie. It's you. Mm-hmm. And that's art. Yes, definitely. So I think I'll play the outro music. Okay. I think this has been a fantastic discussion. I recommend the movie. Uh, this has been Films on Friday. We started with Movie Tuesday. We moved it to Movie Monday when we went three days a week. Now we're doing Films on Friday. But maybe we'll discuss a new movie on Monday. Who knows? Uh, but this has Who been knows? the Sons of Sequoia podcast. We broadcast live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 9 a.m. Mountain Time on YouTube. And we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to like or subscribe if you're watching this video or subscribe to us on any of the podcast services. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to say, say it now and we'll get out of here. Keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying.